Thank you for uh, inviting me again to uh, come and uh, share God's message with you. Uh, it's always a delight and a joy to do so. Let's uh, bow in prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you that you are the God who has called us to be witnesses of the most tremendous message that was ever brought to mankind. We thank you, Lord, for the excitement of the message, for the joy of the message, for the strength of the message. The message being that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord of all. And so, Lord, this morning as we look at your church, as they sought to proclaim this wonderful message, we pray that we will be uplifted and inspired in our witness to this world so lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shusako Endo is a Japanese novelist who as a child lived in Manchuria as a despised Japanese occupier. When he returned to Japan, he became a Catholic along with his mother. And again, he was treated as an alien in a nation where only 1% of the population is Christian. He was bullied and ridiculed because of his association with the gospel, especially as World War II intensified and the Japanese cities were bombed by the very people he thought were his brothers. After the war, he went to France, where he studied French Catholic novelists. Being a Japanese overseas student in Lyon, again he was rejected, not because of his religion, but because of his race. On his way back to Japan, he visited Palestine to research the life of Jesus. And it was there that he discovered that Jesus knew rejection in the depths. His neighbours laughed at him. His family questioned his sanity. His closest friends betrayed him. And his fellow citizens traded his life for a common criminal. Throughout his ministry, Jesus continually moved among the rejected. This was an enormous discovery for Endo because previously he had viewed Christianity as a triumphant faith bolstered by government support. But now he understood what Isaiah said. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted of grief, with grief, like one from, from whom we hid our faces. Jesus warned us, as he warned the disciples, that if the people rejected him, they too would be rejected. J.C. Ryle has said this, Laughter, ridicule, opposition, 
and persecution are often the only reward which Christ's followers get from the world. George Whitfield said this, I was honoured today with having a few stones, dirt, rotten eggs and pieces of dead cat thrown at me. John Rice has said, the world never burnt a casual Christian at the stake. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if you are suffering as a Christian, and because you are a Christian, it is one of the surest proofs that you can ever have that in fact you are a child of God. In Acts 5, 17 to 42, we have, a reject, we have a picture of rejection caused by the miraculous. But before I talk about rejection, I want to talk about miracles. All through the book of Acts, we have an explosion of miracles. Verse 12 tells us the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Other miracles in the book of Acts were the raising of the dead, deliverances from prison, deliverances from the, from the demonic. But God's primary purpose in the granting of miracles in the book of Acts was to authenticate the ministry of the apostles. That is, that it was really of God. Just as Jesus' miracles verified his claim to Messiahship, to be the Son of God. This authenticating purpose of miracles is also seen in the Old Testament on two occasions. First, at the beginning of Israel's history from Exodus, the amazing miracles that God did through Moses and Aaron First, to authenticate their, uh, their, their, their status. Also, to let the people know who God was. But also, to let Egypt know that it was the living God who was leading Moses and Aaron. And then at the beginning of the prophetic era, with Elijah and Elisha, and Elisha there was a burst of miracles the abundance of miracles at the beginning of these eras signalled that God was making a new beginning in his dealings with his people. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was the birth of the church. The new age of the Spirit had begun and the miracles performed by the apostles signalled first to the Jews who were always wanting a sign, and then to the rest of the world, that God had set in place the way of salvation for all peoples. But while miracles can affirm faith, 
Miracles cannot create faith. Example, how many of those people who saw the miracles of Jesus stood up for him at the cross? It is only the spirit that can create faith. So then what is a miracle? It is an extraordinary and welcome event that cannot be explained by natural or scientific laws and therefore can only be attributed to God's intervention. Which leads us to ask the question, can these miracles occur today? I put it to you that there is nothing in the New Testament to suggest that the age of miracles is over. Some years ago, I was having a conversation with uh, Ken Nightingale, who had been a missionary in Borneo uh, in the 1960s, when uh, an amazing revival broke out in that land. And he said to me, and Ken was a very rational person, he said to me, he said, John, I witnessed there every miracle in the Acts of the Apostles, including the raising of the dead. I have a very close friend by the name of Dr. Sean George, who 14 years ago died of a heart attack. And he was pronounced clinically dead for 84, and he was clinically pronounced dead for 85 minutes. When his wife, Dr. Sherry, came to where he was in Cambelda, where he was lying dead, she placed her hand on his body and a very simple prayer said, Lord, Sean is a young man and he has a young son who needs a father. I'm asking you to raise him up from the dead. And then she asked her doctor colleagues to come and resuscitate him. And they said, Sherry, no, no, no. I, even if he comes back, he'll be like a vegetable. But in deference to her, they resuscitated him and he came back to life. And not one organ in his body suffered. Not one. Except his heart. Because he'd had a heart attack. And you can read about this miracle by going on, online under the name of Dr. Sean George. And you can read the testimony for yourself. Miracles, the day of miracles is not over. Let us be assured of that. But it is God who decides when and where a miracle will occur. So how does all of that apply to you and to me? Firstly this. Every day of our lives as believers, we live 
in the realm of the miraculous. It began with our new birth. Jesus said, or John says in, in, one, in John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. I constantly am overwhelmed as I think about the miracle of my conversion. That is the greatest miracle of all. Here I was, a 14-year-old boy in a non-Christian home, not going to church, just hearing about Jesus from a scripture teacher every week at high school for a year. And there in my own room, on my knees, asked Jesus to be my Lord and Saviour. And you know, the wonderful thing was this. When I got up the next morning after having made that commitment in my own room by myself, no one, and I say no one, had to tell me that God was in my life. I knew it. And his presence has never left me since. There's no greater miracle than conversion. Than seeing a life turned around by the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. But dear friends, the miracle continues. Because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said, the spirit of truth, John 14, 17. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. Is not this a miracle? It's a miracle that we experience every day. God's presence entwined in our very being. For us, eternity has already begun. This is a foretaste of the glory that's going to be ours, of the experience of knowing God in the fullness. And Paul constantly prayed for the church that they would be filled with the Spirit, with the Spirit of knowledge and understanding and so on. And you and I are called to enjoy the eternal, miraculous experience of God in the here and now, in every detail of our life. I wish I could stop and just talk to you about all the answers to prayer that I have had over the years. The miraculous intervention of God and that's my third point. Every day, we can experience the miraculous power of God in answer to prayer. 
Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 11. If you then, though you are evil, thank you, Lord, we know that, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There's the promise. We are to come to God with expectancy. There is so much written on prayer that I haven't got time to go into it all today. But prayer is simply talking to God with the heart of a little child who talks to its parents with humble trust. Some prayers are answered immediately. Other prayers are answered with a no. Other prayers are yes, but wait. I remember as a young Christian visiting an elderly couple who really uh, discipled me. And uh, every time I would leave their home in the morning, because I used to go and see them before I went to school, and they'd give me a cup of tea and a biscuit, and they would read the Bible and pray with me for five days a week. But every time I left, dear old Mr. Hobday would say, John, you and your whole household. I prayed for 35 years for the salvation of my family. And I wish I could say to you that I was faithful. <laughs> I had my bursts. <laughs> but I'm happy to tell you that God fulfilled that promise in a most wonderful, wonderful way. So, dear friends, there is no reason why whatever we're doing, wherever we are, that we can't expect to enjoy the miraculous presence of God in so many ways that we cannot even begin to recount them. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. If we pursue God relentlessly, we can expect the miraculous to happen in the everyday experiences of our life. In the little things, see, nothing is mundane for God. Everything is important. The early church prayed that God would stretch out his hands in signs and wonders, and he did. Well, it was because of this miraculous intervention of God that the apostles found themselves being rejected. Rejection is an awful experience, is it not? Being dismissed, being looked upon as of no account. And rejection can be subtle 
or it can be overt and it can be threatening and very humiliating. And so now we come to this rejection. The Sanhedrin, the highest authority of Israel, they're in a difficult situation because there was a lame man that everyone knew who they'd seen at the gate of the temple, who they knew had been lame from birth, and he was healed by Peter. Miraculous. No rational explanation. And he'd been leaping and jumping and praising God in the temple, and now he was standing with Peter and the apostles. And Peter, because of the stir this cause caused, took the opportunity to preach the gospel, focusing on the end on the resurrection of Jesus. And of course, he and John were immediately hauled before the Sanhedrin to give an account of what they were doing. And the result of that was that they were threatened to stop preaching about Jesus. This is the first rejection. They went back to the church, as we saw last time, and told them about the Sanhedrin's threat. There was this spontaneous prayer meeting where the place was shaken by the Spirit and the disciples simply went back and preached the gospel again. Then we read in verse 17 of our passage, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sanhedrin were filled with jealousy. Of course they were filled with jealousy. I mean, they'd done nothing like that. And they weren't loved by the people. They were tolerated by the people. But the people hold these Christians in high regard. They arrested them and put them in jail. Then something quite amazing happened. This is a wonderful thing in the work of God. We must always expect the miraculous. If God is for us, who can be against us? So why not expect the miraculous to happen? And we read in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the... And he told them, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Wow. What about that? It doesn't say that the angel had a master key or that he carefully lifted the key off the guard's belt who was sleeping. It just tells us the angel opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. How did, how, how did that work? How did that happen? I have no idea. They certainly didn't have a, he did, the angel didn't have a black and decker to cut, the, to cut the lock. But somehow, beyond any rational explanation, the, holy, the angel opened the door. Then the next morning, the Sanhedrin, <laughs> thinking the apostles are still in jail, sent for them, and of course the officers returned and said, the guards are there, <laughs> the door's locked, <laughs> but they're not there. And then somebody else comes in and says, no, 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 they're preaching in the temple, in the temple courts, they are teaching the people. And again, 
the apostles are arraigned before the Sanhedrin and questioned by the high priest. I mean, you know, you would be thinking, if, if you're the high priest, we don't need this. <laughs> I wish it would all just go away. <laughs> and the high priest said to them, we gave you strict orders not to teach this in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I mean, the disciples hadn't done a course on how to win friends and influence people. They really told the truth. They were bold, as, we, as I said to you last time. And to be bold means to tell it all. To put it all out there. And because they did, <coughs> threatening these leaders, or accusing these leaders rather, that they were guilty of the blood of Jesus, they didn't like that. And they said, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. There's a very big secret there, isn't there? He gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Well, the response of the, of the high priest and the Sanhedrin was, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. They thought, well, the best thing we can do is cut this off right away and get it finished. But Gamaliel, the highly respected rabbi, but also a very good diplomat, said to the council, hang on. This is a Randall interpretation. Look, hang on. Don't do anything rash. If their teaching is not of God, it will fail. But if it is of God... We don't want to be found fighting him. And of course, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And they were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus and they were let go. We need to look very carefully at what was happening here. The apostles had been rejected by the highest religious authority in Judaism. They were literally made persona non grata in the nation, which could involve the rejection by their families, friends. It could lead to the confiscation of their property, imprisonment, and even death, which actually happened later. And the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who were suffering those very things. In other words, these apostles and the church were on their own. They could look to no visible support from the nation, from the people. In fact, we read in verse 13... No one else dared to join them. It was a very precarious existence to be identified with them. I also note that they were flogged 
which means they received the 39 strokes. The floggings administered with a whip made of calf skin on the upper body of the offender. One third of the lashes was given to the chest, two thirds on the back. Can you imagine the pain that these men endured? As is indicated in the book of Hebrews, where beatings as well as rejection are mentioned. You know, it's all very well for us to talk about our faith in Jesus. But when you're publicly humiliated and flogged, well, would we be faithful then? And the book of Hebrews was written to these Jewish Christians because of their suffering, a good number of them had recanted and turned back. And the, and the writer of the Hebrews is, is encouraging the others to stay the course, to stay the course. Then, so now, if we are true witnesses and tell the whole truth of the gospel, there will be rejection. There will be rejection. Jesus actually said in John 15 and verse 19, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You see, sooner or later, when we are with non-Christian people, when we tell them the whole gospel, not just the welcome of Jesus, not just the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers, but when we tell them that if they refuse, they face the awesome eternal judgment of God, and that they are sinners condemned, you'll be rejected. We are living in a society that does not want to be told the truth. And sadly, in many churches, there's been such a watering down of the gospel that the church is just another helping agency. Well, how did, the, how did the apostles handle it? Did they say, well, we better dial it down. We better have a smoother presentation. We better have a meeting to see how we can, uh, we can uh, find a way of compromise with the Sanhedrin. So that everybody can be happy and at peace. Well, verse 41 tells us, the apostles left the Sanhedrin terribly discouraged and feeling hopeless. Is that what it says? 
They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. There are some things I think I need to make clear. One, we must never be rejected by the world or the church because of sinful, hypocritical behaviour. We're not to be rejected because we're evildoers. Secondly, if we are rejected, it must be on the basis of a godly life and a faithful and kindly presentation of the whole gospel. And thirdly, we must be full of joy that God has counted us faithful to suffer for him because of all that he has suffered for us. The apostles left with back and chest bleeding and in agony and in pain and they were happy. <laughs> they felt privileged to have received this punishment for nothing. And then we must continue to be bold, to be full of grace and truth, speaking the gospel to whoever, whoever will hear it. Because we read at the end of the passage, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. How does all this affect us? Simply this. If we are walking with God, expect the miraculous. But there will be rejection if we are faithful to Jesus. But what a privilege to be rejected because in our lives, through him, is grace and truth that's worth being rejected for.